slum, 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 gullion, slum, gullion, we've got season two, slum, gullion, Jeff and Scott still host us, slum, gullion, I still don't know what that word means, do, 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 do. Slumgullion, we still got some guests on the Slumgullion, we're not showing breasts on the Slumgullion, should probably fade Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to another episode of Rocky Jones Space Ranger, three time zones in the past for me is Rocky Jones himself and Vina, I am your ever happy co-host Winky, how are you guys? Still don't like you Winky. <laughs> I, I feel spacey. <laughs> I love your cape. It's a space cape. <laughs> Take your space pills, put on your space cape, get your space credit card, and let's go to the space mall. Space, do it. <laughs> you know, no, no, no. We'll never find a parking space. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 Scott, you get points. That was good. You get that, that was nice. Of course, I am at midnight is over. So <laughs> <laughs> I am Jeff. That is Scott and Mary or more appropriately, Mrs. C. This is the Slum Gullion. We're going to be bouncing all over the pop culture landscape today. But first, Monsieur Scott, I believe you said you have an announcement. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, it's yeah. It hardly qualifies as an announcement. It's it's a brief programming note. Okay, um, no, wait, wait, wait. Boom. Just one. There you thank go. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's just to say that if um, <laughs> Mary sounds a little odd, um, she has a uh, she has a damaged nerve in her jaw and it's acting up very badly. So if she sounds like she's got locked jaw. It's not because it's not because she's she's uh, hit her head and thinks that she's Catherine Hepburn or Thurston Howell the Third. Or what about Ka- does she think she's Catherine Hepburn playing Thurston Howell the Third? I don't know, but suddenly this became the newlywed game, and I'm uncomfortable. <laughs> Five points. Okay, next question. Wives, where is that? Never mind. I'm going to stop right there. <laughs> If you've, right. got, if you've got lockjaw, does it interfere when you make whoopee? <laughs> Only when we go down. What? Only problem. Okay. So I have trigeminal neuralgia. Face oh. trigeminal neuralgia. So. Okay, that okay, that yeah, that sounds a little nastier. But <laughs> but anyway, all right. So we do have we are going to be bouncing all over the place today. But first, I have some Star Trek news for you guys. Oh, do tell. Oh, is it about Shatner? Uh, it is not about Shatner. It is about Discovery, the, the the new CBS. Please spend money on our app so you can watch new Star Trek um thing. <laughs> Uh, pe- people know my feelings on this. Oh, you're gonna you're they're... gonna hate it. You're gonna get even worse. Oh, really? I didn't think it... that was possible. Uh, kudos, CBS. I thought you pissed me off as far as you could, but you're pushing the envelope. You were going where no network has gone before. Yay! Well, it has it has officially gotten worse. Um, I I was watching a I was watching the YouTubes, which normally I do not do, but um, this guy. It had was supposedly was going to give proof positive that this um, new series was more or less another quote unquote reboot mm-hmm. and not in fact even though it's set 10 years before blah 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 and he goes into the whole detail but basically um, 
this TV show is. You know how Star Trek, the Star Trek rights are split. Yes. Yeah, between okay. CBS and Paramount. Okay, all right, all right. This TV show um, apparently is under, it falls under the same category of programming as the Kelvin Timeline Universe. Uh, Wait, oh, I thought the Kel- okay. I thought the Kelvin Timeline was owned by Paramount. And the Prime Universe was owned by CBS. See, I thought that too. But if you uh, the, the way he pointed his, his big um, now, okay, I freely admit this may be conjecture, but I don't think it is because he went through all of the spe- he went through all of the specific details. There was a lot of jargony stuff that I freely admit I didn't understand because I just I'm not quite too far in the business yet to get all this technical jargony bullshit. But um, it all it all seemed to make sense. But the one thing that he pointed out was that, um, like, like the one, the one universe cannot use like the specific designs from the other universe. For instance, if you notice in the uh, in the movies, in the recent movies, the Kelvin timeline, the uniforms have like the the, the raised. It almost looks like the Federation symbols on the outfits. Mm-hmm. Okay, the outfits in Discovery have that same texture. Interesting. Almost, almost that exact same texture as the outfits from the movies. So. Little subtle things there. And supposedly what is happening here is that... Um, and again, this could just be rumor, but I've heard I saw this on more than one video. Once all the whole this disaster supposedly it was supposed to be, the George Carlin enjoy the freak show and me wanted to hear more, so I just started doing more research onto this. Mm-hmm. And I'll say I'll say up front, what you said about the uniforms alarms me because I refuse to believe um, in any sort of uh, science fiction universe uh, in which they have not yet invented velour. <laughs> But here's the thing. Um, now, if if we are if we are to believe uh, a, the, the the brass and nobody is, is is happy with this thing, and do you remember me a while back saying that there was a possibility that this show was going to be an anthology show, kind of like American Horror Story? I remember you saying that. Yeah. Okay. Well, now. It's, it looks like that may be more than possible because I have now seen two reports from two different sources saying that Nicholas Meyer is himself. He The reason he left working on this one is he's doing his own show now. Oh, he left? I, I know Brian Fuller was... No, everybody who was originally involved in the uh, original pitch from Discovery is gone now. See, Brian Fuller and Nicholas Meyer were the sole reasons... I was excited about this. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, that's why, like I said, that's why. And then once I heard about how supposedly uh, everything is going wrong, blah, 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 the typical behind the scenes that you, that you hear with all the DC movies, right? <laughs> that mm-hmm. same type of crap. But apparently the more research I did, the more I found out that, well, there seems to be maybe a little more truth to this than not. But now that I read on two different sources that um, Nicholas Meyer is working on another series, which after this one season arc will be the next discovery. Huh. 
Okay, that's fine. If they let, let them let them dip their toe in the water, let it be a a filthy, disgusting toe with toe jam that will pollute the water and make everyone leery of jumping into the pool. Then let that series go away. Let them call in the pool guy. Let him pour in the acid and the chlorine. Let them clean the pool. And then when Nicholas Meyer is sitting up on the high chair as the uh, lifeguard, we can all jump in. You know what? I actually completely agree with you on that. I'm not even going to watch the pilot when it's on CBS. Oh, I'll hate watch it. <laughs> are you are you guys going to? Cause I'm not. I'm not even going to do it. I'm not even going to give CBS. I'll, I'll I'll hate watch it and I'll, I'll report back on the show. Yeah. You know, interestingly okay. enough. Interestingly enough. I mean, the best. I, I to, in my mind, the best Star Trek anything is Star Trek Two: The Wrath of Khan. Thanks to Nicholas Meyer. Uh, Mary has never seen it, and uh, you've never I, seen Wrath of Khan. No. This I, is I, this I, is all. This is all I am going to say about that movie, if I may, Scott. Please, if I may, this is all I'm going to say about the film. Um, even Don't if you're tell me how it is. no, not at all. Even if you're not a Star Trek fan at all, even if you've never seen Star Trek, you can watch that movie and thoroughly enjoy it. I think. Yeah, if you're capable of enjoying, say, uh, a submarine movie like The Enemy Below, you will like it. Um, here's so so, coincidentally, purely by. The, I, purely by coincidence, but the sort of coincidence that makes you think that the universe is occasionally paying attention. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, there was a deal on Amazon, I think. Anyway, I got I got uh, the director's cut uh, of uh, Wrath of Khan, and it arrived yesterday, so we're going to oh. watch it tonight. Oh, 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 Mrs. C, you are coming back on for that. Okay. We are doing an unknown movie challenge with you for Star Trek Two. Virgin. Yes, we have to do that. Scott, we're doing this. Okay. That is absolutely, you heard it here first, that that sounds fucking awesome. I would love, oh, that is so cool. Okay, yes, what, there you go, folks. Coming soon, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan with the Wrath of Khan version. I can't wait to discuss this with you. Wrath of Khan, any kind of version is hard, hard to find nowadays, but a Wrath of Khan version, especially with somebody who consorts with geeks like she does. It's just weird. I, I genuinely cannot wait to hear your thoughts on this movie, Mrs. C. Uh, uh, my my reason for being that virgin was because I was definitely in the Star Wars camp at that time. Remember, there was like a, a right. rivalry between the Star Wars and the Trekkers. I don't see. I I don't remember that because I freely moved from one to the other. See, I did season. too. I did too. But, I had my, but my I, group of friends. My group of friends were. Um, my geeky friends were into everything, so I had none of that. Because back then there wasn't so much, there wasn't so much sci-fi and science fiction that you could afford to be picky. You, I, I, I watched everything up to and including, I think, um, Metal Storm: The Destruction of Jared Zinn. But I, I watched nowadays, Galactica 1980 when it aired. I, I did that too. Yep. yep I did yep. Watch, I watched Battlestar Galactica, and then uh, when they brought it back, and they were in the yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I gotta throw something. Nowadays, out. however, nowadays, however, there is, there definitely are people who who line up on Star Trek or Star or yes. Star Wars because they can afford to because they're spoiled. This generation. <laughs> Although spoiled. I gotta say, I gotta throw out real quick. Speaking of Battlestar Galactica, one of the one of the greatest moments in my life was describing to Richard Hatch himself, seven year old me, seeing Galactica in the theater. Oh. That was an right. absolute blast. He was the first. Um, wasn't he the first celebrity guest on the old? Uh, yes, Astro? he was the first famous person to say, "I don't know what the fuck this is, but I'm going to give it a chance." 
Oh, makes me like him. Yeah, he was much nicer than Benedict. Oh yeah, the more I the more I hear about the the uh, the not Starbuck, the more I'm glad I have no problem calling him the not Starbuck now. The but Starbuck that is neither face. here nor there. <laughs> but uh, anyway, speaking of the Star Wars Star Trek fan geek, that was a very nice segue, by the way, Mrs. C, because I also have some Star Wars news I want to throw at you guys. Well, you got the right audience for that. And Mrs. C, I think you're going to get a big kick out of this. So um, even though I said I am no longer reading the Star Wars books for reasons which are well documented, I decided that I was going to check out some of the Star Wars comic books since they are canon. And I'm like, okay, I'm not pissed at them, so I will try that. So I decided to check out – a buddy of mine loaned me the trade paperback of the uh, first um, arc of the new Marvel – uh, I'm sorry? No, never mind. Uh, well, it's called Skywalker Strikes is what the trade paperback is called. And oh. it's written by Jason Aaron. He completely refuses to work as a Jedi until they get reasonable hours, good medical <laughs> benefits. <laughs> and, yes. <laughs> and, That's and actually I'm what he's doing on that island. He's still on strike. Surprisingly, <laughs> surprisingly enough. The, the Sith refused to cross the picket line. So was- <laughs> real fast, real fast to, 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 to do the obligatory whoring. It's written by Jason Aaron and art by Jason Cassidy. Now, I read the whole arc, and it actually contains the first two major stories in the, in the Star Wars comic. And the one negative that I will throw out before I get to the stuff that, I, that you guys are going to want to hear is that uh, he can't write 3PO to save his life. The dialogue, the dialogue is not cringeworthy puns, a la Episode Two, but his Three PO's dialogue is just as bad in its own right. I hated almost everything Three PO said. And I, you know, I actually am one of the few people that like Three PO in the original trilogy. But again, that's neither here nor there. The reason that I bring this comic up is Sweet Prom Fuck Vader. Oh yeah. I've heard about the Vader comics. Um, Vader just in this, Vader just in this is, okay, uh, the reason I bring, I brought this up in particular is there's a scene that I wish to describe to you, just to describe to you the awesomeness of Darth Vader. Um, short, uh, long story short, Han is, is undercover with Luke, Leia, and Chewie, and they are basically pretending to they are negotiating with the empire and um it's a hut negotiation with the empire and they are supposedly the representatives of the huts Hmm. okay and um they have this big elaborate plan chewy is a sniper and everything's going perfectly fine blah 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 until the empire's um representative for these talks show up and of course guess who it is Special special guest villain Darth Vader. <laughs> and immediately, Leia, who is still frothing at the mouth over the destruction of her home planet Alderaan, Gigo figure, orders Chewie the sniper to kill him and take the shot. Nice. So Chewbacca from a tower fire away takes a shot. Vader instantly deflects it. Chewbacca opens, rains high holy hell upon Vader. Okay, Vader is deflecting every single blast, and then he brings the tower down. 
Okay, that's pretty cool. Here's my question, though. Why doesn't Vader sense that he's talking to Luke and Leia? Well, yeah. here's the thing. He hasn't seen Luke and Leia yet. Okay. He no, I mean before he just he just arrived. This is before the negotiations even started. This is him walking down the plank, and Leia goes, "Take the fucking shot." <laughs> and what's awesome is in this entire storyline, Leia fucks everything up. Oh man! No. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. By the end of it, she is the whole point of her arc in this is that she's obsessed because of her the death of Alderaan. She hasn't dealt with it. Okay. This comic is actually going into some like heavy shit. There's another great moment where the first time that Vader actually meets Luke. Uh, he does meet Luke in this and um Luke has Luke has his lightsaber and he's like, You killed my father and Darth Vader's line Oh, I love this line. I've killed many fathers. <clears throat> That's a good line. And then, and then, like, Luke tries to fight him, and Vader just whips the sword out of his hand and uses it to kill the people that Luke was trying to rescue. Ugh. Puts the sword down and basically says, it was, it's not even worth my effort to kill you. But doesn't, doesn't, why doesn't Vader recognize that that's his old lightsaber? He, well, he does later. Well, he's got that. See, that's a, he does. That's, a problem. that's the thing. Here's okay, a, here's two. Go ahead. You can't see a thing in those helmets. Yeah. Oh, Mary, tell me, tell me, repeat that thing you said because I never knew that about that line. Oh, there's uh, when the line that Luke says in the uh, A New Hope, where he's like, he "A thing in this in this helmet." I can't see a thing in this helmet. Yeah. That's actually uh, wasn't supposed. That wasn't a scripted thing. He thought they had called like cut. And he didn't realize the cameras and the mic were still rolling. And he literally turned and said, I can't see a thing in this helmet. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. That and it's, per it's perfect lampshading because wasn't then the first thing you said when you watched this? Oh, they look cool. But how can those how can the poor actors see anything out of that? And they just and having that line hung a lampshade on it and say, OK, so we, we've dealt with it. Now you can stop thinking about that. Um, I do like what, what you're telling me sounds very interesting. I don't generally like the comic book adaptations or extensions of movies it just i don't know they just they just inevitably drive into a ditch uh, well, look, um, at, look at look at the look at the original marvel star wars run yes, i mean look at i mean i was a fan but my god when i rebought them again when the omnibus editions came out holy shit the writing is horrible and here's the thing though this new run by jason aaron it's really except for 3po it's really well written well, they get the the quality of writers they have now, and I, and I hate to say because I loved comics when I was a kid, and I even even as an adult, I went back and read trade paperback collections of stuff from the '60s, and allowing for the time and the place and the state of the art, they're still very enjoyable. But the you would get writers who would be doing, um, you know, a superhero book who had just come off of, you know, a romance title, or some anthology series. They, they, they were all comic book writers. They were guys who came up through a certain school. And nowadays you get – there's so much cross-pollination in, in, in media is that you will get screenwriters who – I mean like one of uh, – uh, Mary and I, one of our favorite comic books uh, was the reboot of the, the Blue Beetle, which was written by um, screen, screen and TV writer John Rogers okay. who did a, who did a two-year, 24-episode arc that basically when you read it back to back in the trade paperbacks is is one of the most amazing uh 
action movies ever with an incredible payoff that depends that depends on you know stuff that was planted way earlier so they've got much better writers now and identity crisis yes and they've got much and and let's face it the art's better and part of that's just production i mean they're, they you know they're, they're not they're not doing you know bende dots on on newspaper quality uh paper it's all it, it's all very high end so the state of the art is much, is much higher so i would probably give this um i would probably give this a look but what i'm fascinated by is how they have redeemed vader because basically he was a horrendous piece of shit by the end of the prequels it's like oh that whiny little snot who cares why did anybody why was anyone afraid of this guy because he had a scary halloween costume later who the hell cares and then in clone wars they redeemed anakin and then in rebels they started making vader a badass again and now apparently in these series of comics including his own comics um vader is now a villain to be reckoned with and it was all done in other media. It was done in animation. It was yep. done in comic books. Yep. So there is a moment. And that man. one scene at the end of that, in oh, that God. scene at the end oh. of Rogue One, oh. where oh. Vader boards the ship and basically just slices oh. and dices everybody like he's a like he's like like the guy in the Ginsu commercial went insane. That's well. That <laughs> scene, the scene in the comic when he kills all of the slaves that Luke was trying feebly trying to rescue it was it was really i mean there is a moment in the comic when a fucking at at tries to step on vader and he almost destroys the at at it is he is when he it's it's what once he pops into this comic it just becomes goes to a whole other level and then at the end of this particular run uh is when he does find out the name of the person who destroyed the death star and the way they expressed his rage is just freaking amazing. They do it without words. He actually sends Boba Fett to find out who this boy is. Oh. And he actually reasons where Ben Kenobi was. He figures out that Ben Kenobi had been on Tatooine. So he sends, yeah, what the hell? He sends Boba Fett to go to Tatooine and find out how Ben knew this boy. And if he could find out who this boy was, because this boy came from Tatooine. Cool. And um, the actual like uh, Boba Fett finds finds out the name. He has a run in with Skywalker, and then the very end of this. Comic, okay, you know what? Let's not give away too much because yeah. I kind of I kind of want to check this oh, out. Okay. I bet, right. I bet no, some of the cool. listeners do. Absolutely. If you guys if you guys are thinking about checking it out, then I will stop because the the ending's kind of cool. But yeah, then I, I, it's by like I said, Jason Aaron and John Cassidy. Um, it's Star Wars Volume One: Skywalker Strikes. Uh, then, yeah, yeah. If you guys uh, pick it up, let me know. Okay. I would like to um, interject that I just went and found uh, one of my Star Wars comics, uh, The Return of the Jedi adaptation from oh. Marvel. Oh, oh, I remember that. Yes, yeah, so it's uh, number four in a four-issue limited series. Yep. It's the last one. Do you remember? Do you remember Pliff? The Green Rabbit? No, that was uh, J- uh, Jackson or something like that. Uh, Pliff was good. Much grief! Later. This sounds awful. Oh yeah, Pliff was much later in the run. I think it was. I think it was pre or post Jedi. It was their base for a while. It was a little telepathic little rat thing Ugh. with the big ears. Yeah. Once once I saw the big giant rabbit, I just went no. Oh but, yeah. yeah. In the first I, seven I, I, issues. Okay. 
In the first seven issues of the Marvel comic, I remember this vividly. It was Han Solo and Chewbacca in a solo story, them just leaving after the Battle of the Death Star. And one of the people who joins their little band in their adventures is a green bunny. Okay, can we talk about something happy now? Because this is depressing the hell out of me. Yes. Oh, there's yes. I have a comic. And, oh, I also found a Star, Star Trek comic. Really? Next Generation Star Trek comic. Ooh. And this one takes place uh, at Christmas time. <laughs> oh. Okay, I have a happy comic. I just recently found my entire Howard the Duck collection. Oh, oh. nice. Steve Gerber lives. Yes, yes, yes. I found the entire set in a box, and I completely forgot where it was. So I'm going to be uh, revisiting the classic Howard the Ducks very soon. Oh, uh, I I sold my my collection when I uh, left New York because I just didn't want to pay to I didn't want to pay to ship it all back. I, now it's just looking. I look back on that. It's so stupid. Anyway, uh-huh. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I I have all of them. I even have the uh, black and white magazines. Braggart. Oh no! When I when when I decided that the only stuff that I even have, and this I totally forgot that I had, and I kind of want to reread this first because I totally forgot about it. Um, Gerber's return to Howard the Duck in the early two thousands before he died. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot I had that, and I found that whole collection too. Oh, nice. So yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a very happy Howard fan right now. And and speaking of of happy fans, time to talk happy sci-fi fans. As regular folks know, a while back, Mr. C and I thoroughly enjoyed watching and babbling geekily about the final season of Bones. Well, we decided that we were kind of going to do that again with another show. And as you may remember, a while back, we said that we were going to start talking about Firefly. Well, we finally broke my ankle, (laughs) but we watched it. We finally rewatched Firefly, or I should say the pilots, uh, which was called Homecoming or was it? What the hell was the pilot called? called Serenity? That's right. It was called Serenity. And um, now how long had it been since you guys watched it? Oh, my a couple of years at least. Hello? At least. Maybe more. <laughs> I, got, I, I haven't seen it in... Oh, Lord. Okay. Yeah, I haven't even watched Firefly in, I'd say, at least a decade. Oh, good. Wow. Yeah, so this is very, very um, clean. Uh, this, I mean, this is very, very fresh to me. Now, granted, once I started watching it, Beats, you know, started coming back and stuff. But mm-hmm. there were a lot of things that I didn't remember, and that genuinely surprised me. Uh, yeah, me too. Um, I have to say, but one thing I did remember, um, is how much I hate and yet don't understand Fox. Maybe I hate them because I don't understand them. We, we're, we humans, as we know from science fiction, we, we hate and we kill what we don't understand. I hate, (laughs) I hate, and we'd like to kill Fox. Now I don't understand their willingness to green light high budget science fiction shows then slowly reach for the ripcord before the first episode is even unspooled and bail out. They spent, they spent, I mean, watching Firefly, watching um, Serenity again, uh, they spent some money on that show. I mean, yeah, yeah, gr- they did. granted, some of it were capital costs that, that they could amortize over the, over the length of the series, like, like the, um, the standing sets of Serenity itself. I mean, there's, there's a lot of sections of that ship, um, but there was a, a lot of CGI, the battle s- sequences. Uh, I mean, the CGI looks <laughs> like granted my, my standard for TV CGI was um, 
was uh, uh, Babylon Five, <laughs> uh, which does not hold up. But the the stuff, even though we weren't watching it in, um, I, I'm not sure that the DVDs we had were high def. They're still, they it looked really good. They spent money on that show, and and given the that should have been the pilot. Yeah, given what came out it, first, it should have been there. Yeah, given the state of the art of CG effects in 2005, the animation was very high quality. Um, now I, so every time, you know, every time. Oh, I have to say, <laughs> I, I I did go back and look at at some um, Babylon Five. Okay. Thinking, well, it's kind of like uh, yeah, so. How much had it really changed? And um, wow, Babylon Five. The best of it looks like a shitty mid '90s video game cutscene. Oh it's man! Like every 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 episode, every every CG spaceship beauty shot. It's. I feel like I've logged into GoodOldGames.com and downloaded a Super Saver double value deal of Tie Fighter and Space Ace. Just, oh. I mean the wow, the, the, the drama. I remember that. Oh yeah, I love Tie Fighter. <laughs> the 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 drama and the characters for on Babylon Five. Uh, still works. It's a it's a very smart, smartly plotted thing. But it just I think it was just part of the reason it's not it's not as popular now is because they uh, they they you know they could go back and do what they did with the old uh, Star Trek the original series episodes where they, they updated the CGI that would I think extend its life. Anyway, the point is Fox committed resources to that show, but began screwing with it before the pilot even aired to the point where the pilot didn't air to the end of the series. Now it think, introduces all the characters, and it was the last episode they broadcast. Everybody meets, but they don't know each other by the end of the show. It was one of the stupidest things, and yet it was so quintessentially Fox. See, because, uh, no, I, uh, no, I see. I was lucky. Like I said, I missed the show when it aired because, as I said, that was during my uh, many years of doing nothing but theater. So my first encounter with it was watching it on DVD. So I, and, and again, as I said, I watched the entire series in one sitting. So I mean, I got to see it in the right order. Boom! All, all in one sitting, the original time. So I did well, we not did, have we, that we frustration. On, well, we didn't. We didn't see it on. Uh, on television either. Oh, okay, uh, okay. I, I don't, I don't know how we missed this, but I never knew when it was on. Well, that's <laughs> okay, typical because Fox, Fox would move things around. Um, yeah, we, um, same thing. We, we finally just said, you know, I've heard heard about this for so long. Let's just get the DVDs. And um, I don't know if we'd seen anything else by Joss Whedon. By Joss, well, I'd seen Buffy and Angel. I'd seen. Oh, okay. Some- yeah, yeah, I mean, I, myself as well. I was a huge Whedon freak by that point, which is why I was surprised that I had missed it completely. And even when I got the DVDs for my mommy, I didn't watch them originally because I was such a huge fan. I think it was just because I missed it when it aired. I ne- it got off my radar. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, literally one day it was like, okay, I'm bored. I have absolutely nothing to do today. What the hell? I'll watch this. And I remember roughly a half hour into it, I was going, okay. Much like my the first time I watched uh, Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica, I was completely transfixed. I'm like, I have to keep watching this. Yeah, me, I think, me too. Uh, what, what I think we watched Castle that Nathan Fillion was on. And um, I was like, well, I'm, what about that Firefly series? Okay. I want to see that. Yeah, Is that exactly. it? Because I thought you wanted to watch I, Castle because you'd already, you already were a fan of, of uh, Nathan Fillion. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Doesn't anyway, matter. <laughs> um, he's he's much hotter in Firefly. Anyway, <laughs> he did. He has he's, he has sort of begun his um, Kilmerization by uh, by Castle. 
He's not. He's he hasn't got full Kilmer. No, not either. full Kilmer. He's a half. I, I, he's a quarter Kilmer. He's a quarter Kilmer. Yeah, I would say. That. I would say a quarter Kilmer. Yeah, this he's, is. He's back on. You know, he's doing like Con Man. And with, uh, uh, and Rick and Morty. Oh, that's right. He's in Rick and Morty. Right? He he was in, he was in the season three pilot of Rick and Morty in a major role in Freaking Hysterical. And he's very. He was in the first episode of Santa Clarita Diet. Yes, yes, he was. And Drew um, Barrymore ate one of his balls. <laughs> oh, that's he, so part anyway. <laughs> it's he's a, a survivor. I adored that show. I'm so happy it did get renewed because I just I absolutely love that show. But anyway, the first thing that I want to say about this little the pilot rewatch is I was quite amazed by how utterly depressing that opening is. Oh, my God. They really do a phenomenal job of just putting you in the middle of an absolutely desperate situation and not knowing what the hell is going on or who these characters are. You instantly feel for them. And, my God, the look on Mal's face in that final shot pre-credit scene when all the ships are there. Yes. Uh, Well, that's when you see him. He's lost his religion, basically. Before, he was very, you know, believe in God and... You know, God won't kill us because we're so very pretty. And it's just right there, you see, there is no God, obviously. If there was a God, he would have would have been on our, our side. He's not on our side, so there's no God. I, that, I was very, very, uh, again, surprised just by how, just ugh, that opening is. And then, of course, as soon as the theme song started, I started tearing up and singing along. Yeah. I hadn't heard him forever. As soon as the guitar started, I'm like, oh, God. And then I just sang. The- we went to go see the movie Serenity oh. that came after the series. We went to go. They had a showing of it at the uh, L.A. Live, near the L.A. Live theaters. And they actually had uh, a guy with a guitar. Who okay, came out. that's awesome. That's pretty freaking yeah. sweet. Yeah, I was kind of mad that all we got was an instrumental in the end credits. I wanted the full song. But what are you going to do? And we'll get to Ser- we'll get to the movie Serenity. Oh, yes, we will. But At the end, at the end of this whole process <laughs> the show but 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 the first thing that actually i want another thing that i want to throw out and tell me if uh this struck you too is that the first couple of times we see simon at least this watch the first couple yeah. of times we see simon i genuinely hated the character he looked like I, a ditch he looked yeah, like I, a dipshit. The, the, um, the, uh, what's his, uh, the actor was playing him very stereotypically creepy and villainy. And I didn't remember this at first, and I thought, really, that's what they're going for? And then there was the scene when he was running and he tripped and fell, and I went, oh, okay, there's Whedon. Yeah. I just thought yeah, it was really funny. Like his whole his first couple of scenes, I'm like, oh my god, I can't freaking stand you. And then when he falls, I went, oh, it's a Whedon thing. I forgot about that. Okay, I feel better now. Yeah, he's he's um he comes off as he's wearing these little glasses that you would expect some um some rich from Wild douche. Wild West to be on. Actually, my thought, my thought was uh kil- was not Kilmer. Uh, uh, God, I can't even think of his name. Um. Oh, God. Brando and Island of Dr. Moreau. Okay, Ew. I didn't go there at all. But anyway, he, he um, yeah, no, he, he seemed, he seemed entitled. He seemed defeat. He seemed uh, aloof. Um, and he's all these things because he's a guy who has a secret and is hiding behind these glasses because he's not, he can't keep a secret. He's, he's, his face really gives everything away. Um. He's 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 terrible at lying. 
and it's it's interesting. There's all it's all that very Whedon-esque misdirection. Yep. And, yep. And, and all it, this time all, it got me on that because, like I said, I totally forgot about that whole opening, and I was like, "Damn it! I've seen this show, and you still got me, you fuck." Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it also has all that Whedon-esque um, seed planting <laughs> stuff about you know uh, uh, Mal's yeah uh, Mal's loss of faith and. Uh, how that sort of drives the friction between him and and uh, Ron Glass's character, the um, uh, the the fact that 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 he he can't let go of the war that he he's still he's still basically fighting the war and which is why he, he lives outside the law. Um, Zoe, you get the you get the feeling has kind of let that go, but loyalty is more important to her than this grievance. Uh-huh. That she that she that she's on the ship because she remains loyal um, to Mal, and just the, and then Inara, you think, oh, the friction, the the, the whole big conflict is going to be between her career, her as a uh, as a basically a courtesan, a high end prostitute, and Mal. Still, even though he's given up religion, he still has these um, these evangelical, these puritanical uh, prejudices. Can I? It still shocks me every time I when he says, "Oh, she's a whore." Yep. yep. I just like. That's so it's like it's like a it's a verbal slap. Yeah. Verbal slap. And, and, and the look on her face, the look on her face, you can tell she's been slapped. And real fast, can I just throw out? I don't know what the how, where Marina Bacharin or who she sold her soul to to remain ageless, but dear God, she has not aged a day. It's she's scary. a lovely. She's a lovely, lovely woman. I mean, I have always been just stunned by her i mean when i found out that she was going to be a regular on gotham i look at even i mean as if i wasn't already happy with that show her I'm like, okay i'm gonna and then i mean looking back on it, she looks exactly not then like she does on gotham it disturbs me <laughs> she ha- uh, it's just it's just frightening how beautiful like she has a hauntingly beautiful quality which fits which fits that character and it made her great she used it to to a great extent in deadpool very true yeah, um, but what, what I was uh, to just finish what I was saying that that the the fact that there is this aside from her beauty, there's this sort of haunted quality. Like there's yep. this shadow over her, which I guess as the series went on, we would have found out that she was terminally ill or something. The, 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 her own reasons for I mean, she was in demand. She was at the top of her game. Why she wasn't on some uh, core world planet? raking in the big bucks or, or running her own establishment um, was a mystery. And they planted that mystery and that, and that became more mysterious as, as the season wore on. Right. So the seed we saw when the Reavers were passing them. Oh yeah. And, her with her, uh, that, that, that mysterious needle. Yes. Although looking back on that though, I mean, it's looking at that scene that could, I, I, that could also be interpreted as a, I'm not going to let them take me. No, I did, that's exactly what that was. But um, she had him. Oh, okay. But, all, right, uh, all right, I got you. But here's another thing the show did: when Ron Glass, of all people, wandered into frame, and I thought, "Oh, it's Harris from Barney Miller," yep. which shows that I it's this is the show was in the what 2005, and I literally hadn't seen him in anything since the 1970s, and I go like, "Oh, he's still alive." And I thought like, "Well, of all the people to." You know, I guess it's better than the Rojo showing up, but um, it's like, I'm, 
I really yeah, it never it never occurred to me that I needed drawing glass back in my life. Um, And yet within seconds, he's just like the most appealing magnetic character that you want to know more about. He's just so he's just so perfectly Zen and centered and and affable. And yet he's got this mysterious. Everyone has a everyone's mysterious in the show. Everyone's got except, everyone, for, except Kaylee. Maybe except except for Kaylee. Kaylee. Yeah, the, the, the yeah. heart and soul. My God, her first thing you wind up loving her. I yeah. I had remarked to Scott where when all of the passengers were coming aboard, I was like, oh, it's like the love boat. And Kaylee's your cruise director. <laughs> I would much rather have Kaylee as my cruise director than Julie. Yes. Yeah, because there's, if the love boat there's starts There's a reference sink, for that no one's going to guess. Because if the love boat starts sinking, Julie's going to do squat. Exactly. Kaylee, might Kaylee will fix that fucker. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that's, that's another thing that really impressed me about this particular pilot. Again, that's Whedon's writing and um, Jewel State or Straight, what is it? State. State, Jewel State's State. acting is that, again, you've just met her, and then when she gets shot, you're genuinely like, oh, God, no, don't kill Kaylee. And you think it's the first episode, it's the pilot, you think, oh, well, they're, they're thinning out the cat. Anyone could die. Anyone could die. Except and it's it Joss be, Whedon. Well, yeah, with the except, yeah, with the exception of Nathan Fillion, anyone could die in the, in the first episode. So, And I, when watching it, I thought, oh, she's dead. I thought for sure. And they even play on... on that because they have Joke. the characters punk simon they basically lie to say oh, so, oh she died so and you and which is fool which fools us at the same time we are also punked and there's nothing we can do about it and there's no camera there to capture our reaction fortunately but it's oh. um they they yeah they did play with that i mean the fact that this that this show makes adam baldwin one of the most contemptible human beings <laughs> on earth, charismatic and fun and funny, just shows the quality of the writing and direction. I think he can be fun. Just don't talk. Don't don't talk politics with him. <laughs> I don't want to talk. <laughs> don't do it. I think that's I think that's how he and Nathan get along because Nathan is completely he's an anti-Trump guy and um, he's from Canada. He's a socialist. Uh, and and Alan Tudyk in this also in in this show. Is, I mean, it, is it the first time you see Wash the dinosaurs? Oh, uh, God. isn't that yes. his introduction to dinosaurs? That made me fall in love. Yeah, and to this day, his his you know, the, it's rare that you see a, a character in their first scene, and that scene becomes endlessly quotable in the geek world. How many of us have not said, "This is a good and fertile land. We shall call it." This uh, land, or, or or more frequently, curse your surprising but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> oh, it's great. And the thing about Alan Tudyk is everything he says, he's one of those actors who makes every little exchange seem like it was an improv. Yeah, it's true. Even as a robot, even as a freaking robot. Yes, he was. He. It's amazing how much character and charisma he got into. Uh, into that Imperial bot in uh, Rogue One. <laughs> oh God, I loved. Yes, you're right. And how I, how you care, how you feel so bad when the robot gets shot to pieces. It's like, well, he's like, it's a machine. Who cares? Exactly. Exactly. Go to, go to Best Buy. Get another one. 
There'll never be another one. But, and then of course, and then of course, as we've been introduced to everybody else, we finally get introduced to the, the, I don't know, sixth, I don't know how many there are, but the final member of the Serenity cast, uh, in a block of ice or goo or whatever the hell it is. Um, River, Simon's brother, sister, sister, sorry, I had a gender issue. Don't blame me, please don't blame me. I'm sorry. She's got a, you know, she's got kind of a boyish face. Yeah, and the great thing about this is this is the episode where she speaks the least, so you are the least aware of just what a terrible actress Summer Glau is. Oh. I, I know I'm alone. Yeah, but at least she has, her character has issues, so you can kind of forgive. See, I, now I have to admit, okay, I'm going to I'm gonna keep that in the back of my head watching it because I remember, at least the last time I watched it, not having a problem with her at all. So I'm going to be, it's, again, it's been a while. It's going to be interesting now to look at it that way. I'm, you I, put the I'll, seed in my head, Scott, damn you. Damn you. It's, that's because that's the Whedon way. I'm just, you know, trying to get the in the spirit. <laughs> I always like her. Seat. I like River. I thought she was cute and... She got better. She got better because she never got much more sane. You know? I have to admit, she was going all... back towards the end of it again. I mean, I, I, I do have to admit the first time that I ever really went, holy shit, I love this character is the movie. Yeah, because I think that is the she... time when I really, the first time I really went, okay, you are now, if not my favorite, the top two in this in this in in the series. Yeah, and I don't remember entirely what her arc is, but I don't remember her being any sort of badass because in the movie. When someone, when she, she just goes, you know, full, uh, someone says to Mal, do you know that girl? And he says, no, I really don't. Yep. That's the first time you see her do that. And of course, you know, the, the, the shot, well, we'll we'll get to the movie, but that iconic shot of her, uh, standing there with, you know, two, two hatchets in her hands, dripping (laughs) blood, dripping blood from every inch of her standing over the bodies of these dismembered reavers. That's just fun um <laughs> but she does a lot of freaking out a lot of quivery stuff and i mean she does but she also i mean she, granted she she has her fun moments especially with um uh shepherd book's hair but we'll, we'll get to oh, that in a later book's episode hair. oh my god i remember that but she and kaylee too were cute together yeah so we'll we'll see you know what i yeah. i am going on my memory of summer glove not being good in anything i've seen her in she was okay on arrow she was okay she was cast because she's Summer Glau and yeah. she was Geek Appeal. I don't think she was anything special. She's she was on okay. Dollhouse. She was on Dollhouse, too? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'd say I don't remember her in Dollhouse. Oh, that's right. They cast her and then that was canceled because she is a curse. The woman is... She is the show killer. Everyone was saying Nathan Fillion. No. I was going to say, how long did Castle last? Uh, eight. No. How many years? Eight years? Eight, eight, eight seasons. So yeah, yeah, definitely not him. But they were they were finished at season seven. That eighth season was. <laughs> my mom. But we've talked about. Yeah, and my mom says the exact same thing, which is really funny. But uh, the one thing, like I said, the one thing that genuinely—well, not one thing again, but um, also—I shouldn't have been amazed by it, but watching it with fresh eyes, I was impressed with, is just how immediate you like all of the main characters. Including Mal, who is an unregenerate asshole. And Jane, equally an asshole. Yeah, but he's a funny asshole. He's kind of an inept asshole. He's Point he's taken. a support he's a supporting asshole. You can like the supporting asshole, but Mal is I mean he's got he's he's a little self deprecating. 
But he, yeah, he's a grumpy. He describes himself as a mean, I'm a mean old man. Yeah. He's dis, yeah, he's disappointed, but he has enough self-awareness that you think, okay, there's more to this guy than just somebody who's bitter because life didn't go his way. So, and, and that I've, as I recall, that pays off through the course of the series and you, and you, you can the think about these characters is as much as you like them in the, in the pilot and, and I like all of them, you, they develop and you, you find a lot more dimension to them as the series wears on, but it was all, it was all beautifully set up yeah. in this pilot. It's why this was not aired first just kills me because it's one of the best pilots ever. Usually characters supporting characters get short shrift they they hammer home what what the premise is going to be everything is way too explicit and and everyone says okay it's a pilot it's going to be clunky this was not clunky this was this and it's it's Whedon's best pilot i think i I, i'm not i am not a fan of welcome to the hellmouth um i hated i absolutely hated the first episode angel but then I, I freely admit I really did not like most of the first season of Angel, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, I have not been a fan of any of the Whedon series pilots. Haven't watched Dark Angel. Don't know about that one. Just the ones that dark, I watched. Dark, Dark Angel. Wasn't Dark Angel James Cameron? Or no, whatever. Yeah, uh, Dollhouse. Yeah, Sorry. I meant Dollhouse. Oh. My bad. My you bad. know, Dollhouse, I don't believe he wrote the pilot. I think the first episode he wrote, everyone agrees, everyone that I've read agrees, and, and this was our impression before we ever read other people's opinions. The best, the first really good episode. We stuck with Dollhouse. Okay. We watched mm-hmm. it. Okay. All right. It's interesting enough. It wasn't our favorite, but but it was interesting enough. Um, the first really good episode of Dollhouse is number six, which I believe was the first episode written by Whedon. It's the one with Pat Oswald. Pat Oswald. It was, it had, it, it had pathos. It was. That comedy. Comedy. Okay. All I right. mean, you, you were, again, you were stuck with a, with a, lead actress who i don't think you know basically it wasn't it wasn't the woman from um she was on she was Angel. she was on both shows she, yeah but she she's no oh i can't remember eliza what's dushku eliza what's, dushku yeah. yes what's the name eliza of the actress dushku. from orphan black oh 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 no clue okay you know, anyway people i'm sure people who are listening to this are screaming you idiots uh, and that's fine you know what that's a fair cop but anyway uh they dollhouse the premise really required a chameleon like protean actress who could embody all these Elijah Dusku did a yeoman's job. She did a workmanlike job of playing these various characters, but she didn't knock anybody out. Um and I think that was a big problem with the show. Anyway, that's beside the point. That's the another point, show. <laughs> the point was the point was, yes, I think this is not only you're right, Whedon's best pilot. I think this is one of the, and I've seen a lot, this is one of the best pilots I've ever seen. There have been very few first episodes of of TV shows that have blown me away. Um, obviously, I'm going to say Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica miniseries. Of course, we didn't know that was going to pilot, you know, if that was even going to be a series at that point. It was just a miniseries. But still, that opening three hours is just... Or that opening four hours, I think, is just brilliant. But I honestly can't think of it. And a I, lot. I feel the same way about the the, the six episode summer uh, series of um, Twin Peaks. Oh, oh, god. Okay, same yes. Way. Point taken. When that pilot, that pilot, that, that two hour pilot. Oh my god, yeah. I ju- I rewatched that recently because I've been watching, of course, the revival on Showtime. Mm-hmm. So I rewatched the whole series and Firewalk with me. 
before the uh, new one popped in. And yeah, you're right. That that opening movie is amazing. And then the series went into the toilet for me. That I was just that's it. That can be a valid complaint. But that's, that's a, a discussion for another day. Beard. What was that? Another show. Yes, Another exactly. Show. Exactly. <laughs> but, um, all right, all right. So, damn it, I just got completely Amtrak. <laughs> I would like to say that uh, one of my favorite scenes in the actual pilot in Serenity is I love when Shepard comes into um, Inara's quarters. Quarters, thank oh. you. I would and he's almost looking for absolution from her and he, how he's like, I'm, I'm not sure I'm on the right ship. And it's just, I think that was such a, uh, it, it was a neat reversal of the usual, nice, yeah, you know, was, uh, godly man, you know, repentant whore, uh, dynamic. They they flipped it and it, it's beautiful the way, the way it was shot with her, you know, and he is, is sitting there hunched his head down or she puts her, you know, she rests her hand on his head in, in a, in a gesture of blessing. It's, I mean, it's, it's using in, in the way it was lit and the, 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 the yeah. sort of the tapestries that she direct, that she decorated her, her shuttle in. It's got a very Renaissance painting feel to it. And I'm sure that was deliberate, but you're, you're right. That's just, it's one of those touches that the, it was, they were, even as cheaply as I'm sure it was done, because it was done on a TV budget, they really achieved moments of visual beauty, or at least haunting visual limit. Like the first time you see that Reaver ship gliding oh, yes. past them, the one that doesn't attack them, and it's you say, oh, they're running without core containment, and and you can just sort of see the radiation bleeding out of the ship. Yep. And 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 they they did something that Star Wars and Star Trek never did, that when they cut to a scene. Uh, a space scene, there's silence. You don't hear, you know, you don't hear a ship. You don't hear a TIE fighter sound. It's just, there's, it's just dead silent and it makes it all the creepier. Okay. You actually, since, since you brought it up, Mrs. C, I will throw this over to you, Scott. Can you pick a favorite scene? Pick a favorite scene. Yes. My favorite scene is, is toward the end because there's been a lot of character development, there's been a lot of argument, there's been a lot of of um, of plot. They've gone from you know from uh, collecting uh, from this illegal salvage operation to fleeing from the um, the Alliance cruiser to landing on this planet to collecting all these characters to finding out everybody's secrets to to having Kaylee get shot to having the cop reveal himself to having, to having them go to this moon where they deal with this woman named Patience where they're expecting to be betrayed and they are and there's a bunch of plot and then the Reavers come in and there's the fleet and so it's just you're it's 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 breathlessly crammed full of 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 incident. And character, and there's this one cleansing moment that goes, okay, every once in a while we're just going to cut through the bullshit. We're just going to, it, it, it's the, it's what I always call the Indiana Jones uh, guy with the sword scene, mm -hmm. where where the the Fed has, uh, okay, it's, oh, it's a river, I think, and, and he's got got the gun to her head, and he goes, yep. you yes. know, back off, uh, you know, I, I, you're going to take me, blah blah blah, and and. Mal knows that they're being pursued by the Reavers and he just walks up the ramp. Okay. And while everyone is, everyone is freaking out and going, he just like pulls his gun, blows the guy's head off and, and goes, right all right, let's get out of here. Yep. We're, we're in a hurry. And they dump him. He like dump him as the ramp is coming up. Yep. It's just, that's my favorite. Cause that's it. Okay. 
whatever you've got all this stuff going on, I trust you to have all this stuff going on. If every once in a while you go, what? You go, yeah, let's just cut to the chase. Um, And and then they literally cut to the chase because then the Reavers are on their ass. And there's a great there's a great chase sequence. And, uh, you know, everything pays off. Everything. That's my second favorite scene. My my favorite scene. Um, actually, I got to say, you would think that would be mine just for Mal shooting the guy in the head. But believe it or not, my favorite scene is one of the more quiet, hopeful scenes. Okay. Surprisingly enough for me, my favorite scene is Kaylee meeting Shepard. That is a nice. Just her starting off with that. You're going to come on our boat. And that whole, yeah, that whole dialogue between the two of them, it just, it instantly, like you said, how you immediately like Shepard Book. I mean, right there, you got the, you got, you have the soul of the ship and the soul of the show meeting for the first time. Yeah. And, and they, and they just, bond over, they bond over their, their mutual love of ships. ships exactly. It's just, it's a, it's a she, beautiful, beautiful character moment. And I think incredibly well acted. I would like to give a shout out to Jewel State and her acting ability. Um, remember in the galley when she opens up Shepard's little box at Shepard's showed the her strawberry scene. Strawberry, and she bit into it, and she had that orgasmic look. Jewel State hates strawberries. What? Wow! Yeah, really? She does not like. Strawberries. Yeah. You never know. It. I bow before her. That was some, some amazing acting there, girl. Wow! Exactly. Wow! Yeah, chocolate on it or anything so she was dealing with just a strawberry jeez okay all right we're 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 going here now though can we find an irritating thing well wait mary hasn't oh i'm sorry i thought i'm sorry that's sorry i thought she i thought you were talking about your favorite scene no no she but she she, just credit i think that was just credit where credit is due okay no okay pick i'm sorry your favorite scene my apologies my favorite scene was with shepherd and Nara, we, that's where we yeah, started. That's what I oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I understand. Okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. Now then. Now then. Well put. The irritating thing. Um, I'm going to start on this one because this genuinely, this was the one scene in the episode that I went. Me next. Really? And it was um, the expositional badger. Mm-hmm. I love the actor. I love the actor too, Mark Shepard. I I love Mark, and I like Badger as a character. I I enjoy the way he played Badger. But my God, his his expositional big speech, Mal, form of this, blah blah blah, this blah. For those of you who didn't watch the first three five minutes of the movie, here's <laughs> all you need to know again. And it just felt really clunky, and it took me out of the fun that I'd had up to that point. And it's the only scene in that episode that generally feels like, okay, now I'm on a TV show. You know, I'm going to disagree with that solely because um, it's a little because I, I, again, I think they're lampshading something that that, that how does this guy who was I, I'm not even sure we, we know what Mal's um, rank is. Uh, I, yeah, but we we find out that later. We just know that he's not a he's not a lieutenant, but he's telling everyone what to do. So you assume he's some kind of noncom. Um, but how does a guy like that, who, who is at this incredibly low point in, in the, the pre credit sequence, how does he wind up the captain of this ship? And the fact that Badger says, yeah, you call you like calling yourself captain, but what were you in the war? You know, big, you, big, big war hero. What were you? You were you a sergeant. And, and the fact that he kind of takes him down a little bit and shows that, that Mal is sort of, 
again, kind of fooling himself about the way the world is. I don't I don't mind that. I didn't think of that as a recap or I mean, I can see how it comes off that way. Well, OK, it didn't strike okay. Me as let me clarify. OK, exposition. let me clarify. I totally agree with you that the point was valid. I just think the dialogue was clunky. OK, fair enough. I just don't like the dialogue in that scene. You, know, you, you you're totally right about the the meaning behind it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what Badger was doing. I just don't like the way it was done. OK, okay. Mrs. C, yours next. Since you all right, it. my next think I said me next. Okay, it it just kind of, uh, I hate it because it streaks kind of a Mary Sue thing, but it's when Haley is um, kind of coming out of the surgery ether or whatever, and she's talking with uh, Mal, and they look. She looks over and she sees Summer, and she goes, "She's a real beauty, isn't she?" I just felt like everyone was looking at Summer like, "Oh, she's so beautiful, Kyle." I was just like, ah. <laughs> that was my. She's a real beauty. Why would you? Why? Why would you say she's a real beauty? Why wouldn't you just go? Who are you? Who the hell is yeah, that? Exactly. Who, are, who is this? I know all the passengers. Where did she come from? Oh well, she was in a crate. Even a, what? Even a, even a oh she's new or something like that. Yes, no, but no, she's still overtaken by her. She's a real beauty. And frankly. I never thought she was. But that's just me. That's a personal thing. Okay. When she's sleeping, she she's so beautiful when she sleeps. <laughs> yeah, because she's not talking. Uh, we'll find out. We will find out. <laughs> Scott? So that was... uh, yeah, fair, fair enough. That's a really good point. That's a really good point. That is that's actually... A, that's an annoying point. And, and that's, yeah. That, there was, that's, that was an own goal. There was no need for that plot hole because then you think wait did she see her before does she know that she's on the show so um my thing is i've already mentioned it's 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 the little plot twist where they make you think kaylee's gonna die and then they tell it and oh yeah you were were mad mad at that because okay this is just purely to get a rise out of people it's 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 out of character and then and then mal and you know, and so we're, they're chuckling about it on the bridge. It's out of character for Mal to joke for Mal to joke about the death of one of his crew. If there's anything that's sac- uh, sacrosanct to Mal. It's his people. So this whole, I mean, I I, I can see him threatening the guy, uh, and he did. But the fact that he would say she, it just it was childish and out of character, and, and you never saw that. Hurt. It wasn't to hurt Kaylee. It was to hurt a guy who was not. No, but it's just, it, it's, it was childish. It was childish, and you never saw that kind of. Usually, when Mal did something infantile, it was be, it was just because he's got that side to him, and he th- and he thought that was the best thing to do. It was just it was just like a mean spirited, weird little punked episode. It just I it just ah. you know what it I, was, I, I kind it of was a... purely to fake us out. It was purely to fake the the viewer out, and it was it was so awkward. I kind of agree with both of you on this because I see your point, Scott, but I kind of admit when it did cut back to them and they were all laughing, I did think it was kind of funny, and I do kind of see the whole Simon's not one of his people. So I'm kind of torn on that one because I do see both points. But, yeah, on the initial watch, I did giggle when it cut to them and they were laughing. Maybe it's just my complete inability to uh, recognize practical jokes as humor. That is a valid point. <laughs> I'm, you should I, be used to it because we know that 
Mr. Zura loves to do that to you on April Fool's. Yes, uh, John from the New Movie Crew has been doing that to me for, I don't know, 30 years. So oh, John's I hate... the, you've mentioned April Fool. That John's the one who does it. And because oh. I because I never pull April Fool's jokes, I always fall for it because I always I don't never think, oh, it's April Fool's. I better get ready for people I, I, pulling pranks on me. I, I tell I have to tell him I have to go. OK, it's April Fool's. Don't believe anything John says today. Don't believe anything John says. Oh, man. Oh, jeez. All right. So um, for that question for you guys, do we want to go one episode at a time with this? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. All righty then. Um, any thoughts that anybody wants to throw out about the pilot before we wrap up this little segment? Um, yes, I hope. Uh, I wish they shown it first. Yes, whoever, whoever, whoever made that decision at Fox, I hope they somehow they went like fly fishing and it was hot, so they were nude, and somehow they tripped and went over a waterfall and and their line got tangled up on a on a projecting branch and they wound up dangling from their ball sack um scott i, I from personal ex- from personal experience don't wish that on people oh, sorry sore subject okay they're, they're very sore subject very <laughs> sore subject and on that note it's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown movie. Unknown movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. That's, That's right. right. It's, it's the, the unknown, unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown what movie. What we gonna unknown watch? Movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown what movie. What we gonna watch? Unknown movie. Challenge. It's the unknown what movie. What we gonna unknown watch? Movie. Unknown movie. Challenge. That's, That's right. right. It's, it's the, the unknown movie, movie challenge. challenge. Ready for battle. The following is a public service message from the slumgullion.com. <sighs> Strap in, folks. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was so excited. It was going to be a, an amazing film. So many people were talking about it. It was revolutionary. It was going to change the way we looked at movies. And it was going to be a spectacular. So, like any good fan, I smoked my several bowls of marijuana. And I planted my 1375 down at the ticket counter so I could get my 3D ticket. And I sat down first day so I could watch James Cameron's Avatar. I fell asleep halfway, about no half hour through it, and it wasn't the pot. It, 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 it was the movie. Eventually, I, I, I watched the entire film. I, I was able to get through it. I liked the film, sort of, but the one thing that I couldn't get over was that it was just too goddamn long. Three and a half hours was just way too much time for that effing story. Then there was Peter Jackson's King Kong. I was all excited about that. I mean, Andy Serkis playing Kong, a great cast, and Jack Black. Um, Top CG, again, Andy Serkis playing Kong. This was going to be amazing. So when it came out first day, I smoked my bowls. I planted my 1575 on the counter so I could get my 3D ticket, and I sat down to watch Peter Jackson's King Kong. I fell asleep about 20 minutes in. And it wasn't the pot. It it, it was the movie. And 
Once I finally watched the entire film, which that actually took four different sittings, I realized this could have been an amazing motherfucking movie. It was just too damn long. Today, I went to see The Dark Tower. And like a good fanboy, I smoked my couple of bowls of marijuana and I planted my 2175 down at the counter to get my 3D ticket. And I sat down and I didn't fall asleep. Uh, not at all. Not at all. As a matter of fact, I blinked and the goddamn film was over. Folks, if you are going to adapt a fucking multi part gargantuan huge opus that makes the lord of the rings look like the motherfucking hobbit and if your first film in a multi in a, in, in a planned multimedia series is going to adapt several of the books into one narrative the one thing you don't you don't fucking do is make it a crisp 90 minutes this is a film that fucking begs to be two hours long. It begs to be two hours and 20 minutes long. And you know what? This could have been an amazing two hour and 20 minute movie. In fact, I think at one point it may have been a two hour and 20 minute movie from the way this piece of shit is edited. Folks, seriously, this is, okay, I, I know nothing about the books except for the fact that they make The Lord of the Rings seem like The Hobbit in size. Um, I, and that, and that uh, Randall Flagg is the man in black who's all the different books, blah, blah, blah. That's all I knew going into it. So I'm looking at this completely as more or less a movie fan. Wait for cable. I'm not even talking about paying for streaming. Wait, wait for cable. If you don't know the books, this is a confusing obnoxious badly edited sp badly special affected if that is a word it is now um badly acted mess if you are a fan of the books i think you now want to kill stephen king because he gave it a thumbs up um um if you are a huge idris elba fan watch luther if you are a huge Matthew McConaughey fan, I'm very sorry. He has made one good film. This is not it. Um, if you are a fan of the Stephen King books, stay the motherfuck away. I just sat there the entire movie going, the fuck? And that is not the way you start a franchise. By the way, this I just found out when I came home before I started this whole thing. Um, apparently, the plan for this was that after the movie came out, the TV series was going to have Idris Elba in a limited role. Because I guess the series was going to focus on young role. And maybe it was going to be like the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. And he was going to be the intro and outro of said episode. Well, he is no longer involved in the TV series. And apparently the TV series, which is now being run by a former Walking Dead showrunner, um, is going to not be connected to the movie at all and going to be its own thing. And you know what? That's the best idea this show could do because now, now fans might actually get what they want. I won't watch it because this movie just burned me off to the entire story. I, just... I'm fucking done. Wow. That was the most depressing after-school special since The Boy Who Drank Too Much in 1980. I think we all remember this seminal episode. Buff and Billy. They both like sports. They both like girls. Except Buff was an alcoholic, and only Billy could save him. Um, 
I, I actually don't know if he could because I, I didn't make it through the whole thing. It was sort of like you and Avatar. Uh, but uh, he maybe he, he probably did because Billy was Lance Kerwin. Um, Scott Bio was buff, I think. Uh, but I do know for sure because I've looked at the ad in TV Guide that Buff gets the shit slapped out of him by Don Murray. <laughs> did you hear on a completely random tangent that there is a new Karate Kid coming? Uh, another new Karate Kid? But here's the thing. It's not another new Karate Kid. It is, in fact, another new old Karate Kid because it is a, it, it stars, ready for this, Ralph Macchio and William Zabka. Oh, he's William Zabka now. You know, he used to be Billy Zabka. Well, now he's an adult, so he has to be William. Uh, I w- you know, I'm fine with Ralph Macchio. Um, I, I, uh... Oh man! So here is what we know. Here is what we know about the show. It is tentatively or officially—I'm not quite sure of that—going to be called uh, Cobra Kai, which I believe was the name of the dojo. It was the evil dojo. Yes, yes, because um, it's apparently William Zabka's character is going to restart the dojo. Okay, but I thought he had like a character arc and regretted his behavior and was apparently that has been brought up by people who have been who have been discussing this now um for those of you who are fans of the karate kid yeah i know a lot of people are excited about this that's that's awesome uh i could care less and then i could care less even more when i found out that it was going to be a youtube red series i don't know how you can be a fan of the karate kid and be excited about this i think those are mutually exclusive but a youtube red red series uh, sounds half right. Well, and like I like I said on Twitter, uh, for a while there, I had a subscription to YouTube Red, so I was checking out their bold original programming. Uh-huh. Uh Yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there, and let's talk about something cool. I just wanted to throw that out there for all the nostalgia fans. Seriously, if you're a Karate Kid fan and you're excited about this, good for you. Enjoy it. I'm not going to. But here's something we can all enjoy. Atomic Blonde. Yes. Let, that me just, it, let, me just, let me just say, first of all, that as a, I don't want to say, I'm not a child of the 80s because I was a, I was a young adult in the 80s. Um, I love the look of this film. I, <laughs> I love I, I, everything about it. I love the graffiti-like superimposed chapter headings that, antici- <laughs> that anticipate what's about to happen to the Berlin Wall. And I love the fashions but i hate to say this but you know who doesn't need to wear awesome and fabulous five inch stiletto heels the five John foot, Goodman. the five foot ten charlie's theron because <laughs> solely because it makes me feel bad for the five foot seven inch james mcavoy who <laughs> if you'll note is wearing wildly anachronistic bell-bottom jeans that are not authentic to the period solely to conceal the fact that he's tottering around in platform shoes like Huggy Bear. Just just so this poor bastard can play scenes opposite his statuesque co-star without having to shout his lines up at her through his cupped hands like he's Grant Williams in The Incredible Shrinking Man. Uh, you know, it's, it, 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 you're right. I think I, I giggled about it once, but at no point did it detract from me from the awesomeness of this movie. Yeah, I, I was talking about this. Uh, uh, John called me um, the other day 
And we were talking, and amongst the things we were talking about, he says, oh, hey, Blanche, and I saw Atomic Blonde. I th- you really think you'll enjoy it. And I said, I, I did go see it because Jeff and I were going to talk about it. And I did. And I, I mentioned the whole weird bell-bottoms thing, which is he, <laughs> and he says, well, you know, East Berlin, maybe the right guy. They weren't that far behind the fashions. They were like 10 years behind, maybe. But I'm sorry. This is, this is I mean, you can get away with bell-bottoms in 1975, not 1989. I don't care if you're living in, you know, post-World War II rubble. <laughs> now, just so you know, folks, uh, that is kind of the length of the spoilers that you're going to get for this re- for this review. Yes, this is the Unknown Movie Challenge, but we're just giving our initial thoughts upon this film because we honestly don't want to spoil anything. And here's the reason why, and this is one of the reasons why I freaking love the movie. It has a plot. It does. It has a plot worthy of... Uh, an espionage film and not not a not a you know spy pastiche like Kingsman which I loved um, yes. but this has this has the pleasures of a it, it it has it has the style of a Bond film but it has it has the the gritty complexity of say uh, Michael Caine Harry Palmer spy film from the 1960s like I've uh, been describing Funeral it as in Funeral I've Berlin. been describing it as Jean Le Carre with a female John Wick. Ha! That's that sums it up very nicely. Yes, I, I think so. I, just, um, I, I was that, and the reason that I even went to see it. Now, I freely admit, well, I saw the trailers, and I'm like, all right, this looks really cool. Charlie's Theron kicking ass. I'm totally down with that. But um, I watched uh, John Campia. He's a fairly well known internet person uh did a review of it and he pressured the fact that he'd been you know a lot of people weren't following the plot and he stressed that if you actually paid attention to the movie you could follow it and just the fact that he had to tell his his followers it's a smart movie pay attention i'm like okay now i have to see it yeah it's not one of those movies i mean i will say this it's not one of those movies where People say, well, if you pay attention to the plot, you get... I mean, you hear that a lot because people are so used to to movies being basically plotless spectacles. Right. And it's like, really, there's no point in paying attention to what anybody says in a Transformer movie. In fact, there's you have every incentive not to listen to anything that comes out of Marky Mark's face. But... Um, Transformers films? Uh, yes. All I remember uh, is shouting and explosions and occasional boobies. Sorry. That was the plot. Oh, yeah. Uh, but um, this one has uh, not only a twist, but it has several twists uh, on top of each other. <laughs> so, so what you think is, oh, really? All right. Oh, really? Oh, all right. Oh, really? All right. So, dude, it's Scott. You just nailed me exactly during that movie. <laughs> I did that. Yeah. That's awesome! Wow, that that seriously, I, that happened to me during the film. And um, before before we go any farther, the, the the big thing that I just want to throw out to you, Scott, as far as the awesomeness of the movie, and I think you'll know exactly what I'm talking about: the fight. Um. Yeah. Let's get to that in a minute. Okay. Where do you where, where do you want to go? Because well, I I just want to mention just a couple things that uh, that are not spoilery. Um. And then I want to I want to end on talking about the fight because okay. uh, uh, the, the the fight I think is going to be what people are going to be talking about for a long long time. <laughs> uh, but the movie has a lot of other pleasures and a few uh, a few stylistic quirks 
that get that almost get silly. They don't they don't tip over into absurdity because uh, Charlize Theron is so magnetic in the role that you kind of buy anything she does, even even you know the excessive boozing and, and the the, the uh, introspection and all that. That's it's she makes everything she does work and everybody else who plays who were were in her orbit because let's face it everyone is just is just a minor celestial body circling (laughs) the awesomeness that is her yeah yeah very true yeah yeah plays up to her level but but i will say this and this is this is a non-spoiler but it's it's a major plot point it's a major element the film uh this movie officially has more people smoking more cigarettes than any other movie since the invention of the kinetoscope at one point the cast of Casablanca shows up, coughs discreetly, and starts handing out packages of Nicorette gum. I remember that scene. That did kind of seem out of place, but the musical number was great. Exactly. Uh, something. Another thing is, uh, this made me. Fe- this didn't make me feel disappointed in any way because I love when actors display range. Um, but it was a surprise. Uh, I love. And I've said this before on the show. I love Sophia Butella in, ev- <laughs> in everything I've ever seen her in. I loved her in Kingsman. I loved her in Star Trek Beyond. I didn't see her in The Mummy, so I can continue to say I love her in everything I've ever seen her in. Oh, good. You still haven't seen her in that yet. Good job. No, no, I'm I'm preserving my cherry. Good job. But I'm I'm used to her being a badass, and and here it was kind of jarring to see her playing someone who was just not not great at her job or. Or maybe it's more accurate to say inexperienced and temperamentally unsuited to intelligence <laughs> work. But 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 her love scenes with Charlize more than compensate. Uh, yeah. And even I'll say that. Yeah, even and despite the preconceptions I had based on her previous performances, I believed her as a let's say as a thrill seeker who's so far over her head that she can't quite see how bad her situation is. I'm telling you, Scott, that acting thing, some of them people be good at it. Yeah, the, 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 this, this, I wouldn't say it's a trend, but this experiment in hiring people who can act and put, putting them in genre films where usually that's uh, n- not, a, not a skill that's prized, I think it paid dividends. I kind of believed what I was watching and became somewhat emotionally invested in it. And uh, that was a weird experience for an action film for for what you know what for a lot of films well okay point taken um what's the, what i thought was funny is as i was watching this film maybe you'll see my point maybe you won't um i should say afterwards as i was thinking about the film I, well first off of course i walked out going fuck yeah and then as the yeah. uh the, the critical eye in me started thinking about it for some reason i started thinking about la femme nikita mm-hmm uh, for those of you who don't know, and you should, and if you don't, you should find it, La Femme Nikita was, I believe, an 80s film, and if I'm right, it was an early Luc Besson film, if I remember correctly. It's one of his uh, early films. Really? I, um, I can, let's, I'm going to double check this right now, because I'm almost positive that's a Luc Besson movie. And yes, it was a Luc Besson movie. Ha, huh, I was right. I, um, that was why I actually liked him, which is why I've been so depressed with where things have gone recently. Um, 1990. Yep, okay, 1990. And the reason why, like I said, if you haven't seen this movie, you, you really should, because much like um, 
uh, Atomic Blonde, La Femme Nikita is an action film with some amazing action film action sequences, but it also has a very intricate plot and characters that you like and an ending that is just fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. I love the end of Nafam Nikita, and I was so pissed off when they did the American version and screwed everything up with it. But that is neither here nor there. But and, like I said, and, oddly enough, uh, it includes an appearance by the late and recent, the, the great, I should say, and the recently late Jean Moreau. Ooh, that's right. That is right. He plays, he plays a key character in the movie. But, um, like I said, the only reason why I bring that up is because it's rare, extremely rare, to find a genuinely, like, you know, semi-intricate, intelligent plot crafted with really wild action scenes. Mm-hmm. And it was it's just it was just very nice and refreshing, refreshing to, to to have that again. And speaking of the action scenes, not getting into the fight, but I was also I, I give Charlize Theron like massive amounts of credit for uh, apparently when they were choreographing the scenes. Originally, they were planning on just teaching her four moves at a time and then doing cuts and stuff like that. She learned 20 moves at a time. Yes, the the uh, why I, the fight scenes are as cool as they are. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people by now have seen the, that behind the scenes clip. But I, I believe they were talking to the to the uh, uh, fight director, fight choreographer. Okay, and they were saying, yeah, saying, yeah, yeah, or you know, our plan was typical for this kind of movie is you know you teach your star uh, three moves, maybe a com- maybe a combination, then you cut, you move the camera, you you teach, you know, they do three more moves, and she she could do she could do. 8, 10, 15, 20 so they, they could do whole full frame sequences um, I, again in sort of the the, uh, the John Wick um, the, uh, the John Wick style apparently she, she uh, trained at the same um, at the same place where uh, uh, Keanu Reeves trains, trained for the John Wick movies which makes sense. It really does. Yeah. And the practical upshot of this, boys and girls, is you actually see the action scenes. You know what's going on. You can follow them. And they, they're and they, actually, in a way, they're used to advance the story to some degree. And they have their own stories. You can see, yes. you can see that the things happen in the action sequences, in the fight scenes, that, uh, that are their own little miniature stories. And, and each fight is, it's, is a unique struggle with, with that person or persons that she's fighting against and and the people who are who are working for the opposition who are working for the russians and the east germans or rather well let's say the russians she fights them in an entirely different way than she fights the east german police who are basically just being sent to arrest her she's she's brutally unsparing of other professionals but she does you know the minimum amount or at least she she uses solely non-lethal techniques on the cops who are just there to um who are just you know, who are just doing the bidding of the Russians and and uh, yeah guys just doing their jobs. So that that was interesting that that added when you think about it it adds depth to the character because okay she mm-hmm. she won't if you wonder you always wonder about characters like this especially when you see them kill someone early in the film you go all right well do they have any limits are they just are they just sort of a soulless sociopathic monster um, in the employ of, of a government? And they go, no, no, she has her own moral code and she has her own uh, red lines that she won't cross. But 
since we're on it, let's let's talk about the fight scenes. The first shot of this movie is Charlene's character, Charlize's character, Lorraine Broughton, emerging from a tub filled with ice. And it's <laughs> astonishing because first, no one appears to have stolen her kidneys. <laughs> also, and she has a much nicer ass than Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, yes, yes. It's much sexier than the almost identical scene in the Jean-Claude Van Damme film, Pound of Flesh. Uh, see, see, Thank you, Dave Probert. See, see our previous show with Dave Probert for that uh, for that film. Um, however, while her internal organs are present and accounted for, she is beat to bloody and literal pulp. Her back, her face, it's all a topographical map of pain. And she's just, she's painted with bruises in every now, have shade you heard, of the violet have you heard the spectrum story? of the color wheel. Have you heard the story about those bruises? I have not. Okay, short version. Some of those bruises are actually real. The rest of those bruises are based on bruises that she received while she was training yeah. for those fight scenes. I mean, I I completely She took that. pictures every step of the way while she was training, mm-hmm. and they used her real bruises for that scene. Yeah, I, I, I believe that entirely. It's funny because that's something else I was talking to John about. Um, because when I started learning martial arts years ago, um, and I was a very serious student. Everybody in our small little group was, uh, especially when you got up to, to the brown belt level. And you would learn something. To learn a move, I mean, you would do it over and over and over and over and over again to get it into your muscle memory. And even if it was just a block, you would you would throw that block, you know, with, the, the, say, with close to the amount of force you would if somebody was actually hitting you. And so the next day after after a class, my arm would just be uh, would just be uh, this hideous mottled wreck. And so I am sure that as many times as she had to how flawlessly and amazingly she performed uh, her stunts, she had to have practiced them over and over and over again. And I'm sure she earned most of those bruises um, <laughs> but uh that's that's an interesting uh, the interesting thing is yeah you, you you rarely see like in a bond film if you know he, he, he gets something that you know he should have had his arm dislocated or his leg broken or is that the, the kind of abuse he takes and shakes off and then you barely see him i mean i think i was impressed how many buildings did bond fall through in quantum of solace i don't even want to count but I, I i will say this i was and this is how bad it is in bond films that i was really impressed in um uh casino royale where there's that that one fight scene on the stair where he yep. bas- basically is he's he and the a guy are rolling down uh several flights of stairs as they as they struggle to to control a, uh get control of a gun um all he gets out of that you know not a fractured hip he gets uh, a scalp lash laceration uh, that he has to, he has to go into the bathroom and and try to try to stop the bleeding and it it you know it bleeds quite a bit the way scalp scalp wounds do um, but it's it's a very genteel it's a very bespoke wound um, considering that he you know should have been a a like a you know a shattered bag of glass every, every, uh, yeah 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 yes I'm sorry oh boy. But I'm afraid I'm going to have to issue just a bit of blood. I hope you won't mind. It won't be too much painful, but, but you did hit yourself just a bit. But that, yeah, but that's, you know, I mean, I was impressed by that. 
because oh, yeah. that's more than usually seen. But in this, um, I mean, you it starts off going, oh, well, she's gonna, she's had the shit beaten out of her, and <laughs> yep. then it turns out to be a framing device because she's the next thing you see, she's being interrogated by her handlers in a secure room, uh, a bit like Kevin Costner in No Way Out, um, <laughs> and and. And then through the course of the film, you see how how she she earned every one of those contusions like it was a medal. Uh, and as much as I usually hate framing devices like that, I I really do not like the oh here's a cliffhanger now we're gonna go back and show you how it got that that just bugs me a lot of the time. Uh-huh. I really liked it here. I liked it here because there that, oh, that shot is just so awesome. It just draws you in instantly. Yeah, usually. Usually in scenes like in scenes like this, they, they just do it to break up the narrative, and, and and they will have one of two things happen: either either the interrogator, either our hero is telling the absolute truth about what happened, and the interrogators don't believe him or her, or they're kind of bullshitting about it, uh, and the interrogators sort of know but can't prove it because you've just seen the way it really went down. Here, these are all layers there's stuff happening in the interrogation room that impacts what happens in in the other scenes and what happens in subsequent scenes so everything it's not just it's not just oh we're gonna we're gonna cut back to this because we, we want to establish a, a a rhythm it's like every scene advances the story in some way even the scenes where she appears to just be repeating the story um, <laughs> and then there's the fight. Well, here's here's the thing about that. Um, I uh, in film you just don't get to see women fighting like this, if at all. Um, I used to, uh, as I mentioned, I used to, I used to teach kenpo karate way back when. You taught? I didn't know you taught. Oh yeah, for years. And, oh wow. Okay. All right. And while we did have a few, you continually surprise me, sir. Thank you. That's that's my sole goal in life. So get, <laughs> I get sorry. up every day with it. Um, I, I, we, we did have a few uh, women and young women uh, students who, who who brought a graceful, you know, balletic dance-like quality um, to the to the movements. But they were the exception in our school because uh, people like that are usually attracted to other martial arts, to the more you know the more graceful, rounded movements of Chinese martial arts and um but kempo is a is is purely about self-defense it's um it's like uh, it's it's similar to another art called kaju kenbo which which uh one practitioner described uh memorably and i think black belt magazine as the perfected art of dirty street fighting and uh our school uh especially early on was on the edge of a pretty rough neighborhood which may be why so many of our most serious students were women and why they were relentless in practicing the, the, you know, the most uh, gruesome disabling soft tissue attacks. But, but in the movies, in the movies, it's all balletic and gymnastics. I, I mean, think of Black Widow from the Marvel movies who mm-hmm. leaps around, she scissor kicks a man's neck with her thighs and sends him flipping ass over dick. Um, in, in, uh, in the Agent Carter TV series, I remember the showrunners wanted Peggy to be a badass, but they just, she's, you know, she's a stacked woman who 
they, they didn't and given the, the 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 time they didn't think she could believably go toe to toe with male antagonists uh, continually so they said peggy didn't fight peggy finishes fights oh jesus using environmental weapons like i mean they uh she she made creative and kind of gruesome use of a stapler in one memorable scene but atomic blonde is just straight up punching kicking kneeing gouging and everybody heroin villain alike ends up bloody woozy gasping for breath it is glorious <laughs> it's um it's and the the thing that's the other thing you don't see is like people will you know they'll kick ass and then usually they'll stand over the person they've just you know knocked through a window or thrown down steps or whatever they'll they'll have some quip and they'll and they'll get on you know or 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 you know another confederate will show up and and shoot and then they'll have to jump out of one, something but in this it's like after a fight both parties are like grabbing the wall struggling to stand up like okay who won did anybody win that and it's sort of like well yeah nobody wins a fight really uh, and it's just you don't see that in a movie let alone a movie where one of the people fighting is a woman because we just we like our women to be pretty we don't beat them up and you keep going okay and, and then they okay after that fight she's going to need a lot of concealer <laughs> in, in her in her next seductive scene and i like by the end of it um she's just like she, she's got broken blood vessels in one eye and she's her face is just a mask of gore and, uh, you know, the cleanest she gets is when she, you know, winds up in, in uh, uh, against her will, you know, getting knocked into a river. Um, that's that's as close as she comes to tidying up. It's just it's it's it should be ridiculous. That's the amazing thing about this movie. It should be so over the top that it should be a Kingsman like spoof. But it's not. It's an old school it's an old school's early sixties spy film before with, with, with like post eighties action fight choreography, but before the mid sixties, uh, spoofery where it's like, okay, you know, I mean, you know, get smart is the only reasonable reaction to James Bond. Cause it's so silly. They, this is a, just a, uh, it, it, it re, I don't want to say reinvents. It resurrects, it resurrects, the spy films of the 60s when they were at their best and I would never have thought that that was possible let alone that you could do it with a female lead and maybe that was the only way you could do it show us something right. new right yeah um, I get, and I, then there's the fight <laughs> and then there's the fight yeah I, I, I just I don't want to talk too much about the fight because it's just that it's just and I will say this how they cut her and her stunt double together is is unusually seamless i mean i i will probably go back and see it again and and watch i was so absorbed the first time but there is there's a lot of her doing her own shit oh absolutely i i honestly i think i i don't know the percentage but i'm about 90 90 percent sure most of it's her um yeah i i i don't know there's some some stuff that you're you're um the that at some point if you try to get your star to do 
uh, a man in a oh, dark suit. Oh, someone's going to go, no way. A man in a dark suit uh, wearing wraparound sunglasses would pull a silenced Walter PPK out of a briefcase and would shoot uh, the director and the stunt coordinator in the head and then leave and go back to his job at their insurance company. <laughs> yeah, all, all, all I will say about the fight, and trust me, when you see the film, you'll know exactly what we're talking about, is when it started, I was like, all right, all right. And then as it continued, I reached the point where I was quite literally on the edge of my seat. Uh, elbows on my knees, head on the chin on my hands, just a big shit eating grin on my face. Yeah. And the thing about it is, I think some people make it will compare this to or at least it, 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 as far as the buzz it's getting compared to the, the, the fight, the hallway fight scene, the first hallway fight scene in the first season of Daredevil. Well, I, I would I would take it back. <clears throat> I would take it one step further, actually, and compare it to what people compared that scene to, which was from the uh, film The Raid. Right. Have you seen The Raid? Uh, I have not seen all of it. Uh, oh, then you have not. Okay, then I think you might have missed the fight scene then, because if you had seen it, you would know you would know why. <laughs> right there. It, this one, this one actually, I think, improves upon that fight scene, which I never thought was possible. But the raid had, until Atomic Blonde, one of my favorite fight scenes of all time. Hmm. Well, I will. Yeah, I've been meaning to catch that for a long time. I, uh, just to finish the point. Um, yes. They, it, it's similar in the sense that they, they, they try to give you the, the, um, the impression of one long uninterrupted take. And it's not, but it's it's there. There are long sections where it's a single it's a single shot. Um, this is where her learning twenty moves at a time came in was, put to the test. was put to the test. This exactly. is the fight. This is where she earned her. Oh my God, you are a badass. Make a fucking Furiosa movie. Yeah, and the thing is, in in the fuck Mad Max, give her her own film now. Yeah, in the in the Daredevil series, in the Daredevil scene. It's like it was impressive, but there were like five stunt guys in the Daredevil costume, and someone would go, roll, you know, they go smashing through a door, and then another stunt guy would come out. Yeah, they shot it, you know, pretty much in real time, but they were five different guys playing Daredevil, and she she's doing lengthy lengthy combinations. So she was she she trained hard. Of course, you you can see how well when when she gets out of that bathtub and. Just sort of shrug, shrugs her stiff muscles and go, good grief, those are a lot of muscles. They're stiff, perhaps, but they are plentiful. Um, but, yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. Um, it is, it, just seriously, folks, if you haven't seen it, just fucking go. See it on the big screen. See it on the big this screen. One, yeah. Don't 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 wait. Don't wait to rent. Don't um don't definitely don't do what I said to do for the Dark Tower. This this needs to be seen. We need to tell Hollywood, yes, give us more action films with a plot and good acting. We can take it. We like it. Also, what my my last comment about the about uh, I I could probably rat prattle on about what I loved about this movie. This is the last thing I'll just say. This well, okay, hang on, hang on, hang on. Then we'll do it this way. Then, if you want, use this as your fascinating thing. If you want for fascinating, irritating, because this is the UMC. We got to do that. That's true. All right. Well, okay. Do you want to go ahead? Okay. Yeah, I'll go ahead. Okay. Uh, for me, I think the most fascinating thing about this 
film is that uh, Charlize Theron did as much of her own stunt work as possible and the fact that it showed and um, how this movie basically kind of shoves its big middle finger up the ass of a lot of mainstream action films. Mm-hmm. This movie's really like, fuck you, here's how you do an action scene. And I mean, it puts a most i think hollywood action films to shame with their with with the, with the fight scenes in this and i really 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 hope people pay attention to this movie not just for the plot but for how it was constructed how it was cast more than anything else as well i mean but just oh um irritating thing and this is nitpicky, but and it's something you already mentioned was the first time i noticed james mcavoy wobble yeah <laughs> because in that one scene it did it did make me giggle like i said it didn't detract from the movie but it did take me out of the film for a second that was really the one thing that did and it's funny because by by the point that i was looking for it they, they there's a scene where the two of them come out of a building and it's shot from across the street and oh, they God. walk out and then instantly walk out of frame because there, <laughs> there there's a car or something in the foreground and i'm yeah. like like boy he he's no rupaul he cannot walk on those platforms very well but hey at least you know at least they're not making her walk in a trench like they did with uh alan ladd's ghost stars uh anyway <laughs> okay you sir uh irritating uh I, I not not to not to hammer at it but i i do think that they relied a little too heavily on she always she always had to have something in her hand she always had she was, she was drinking or she was smoking when she was talking to somebody in whether they were in an apartment or a restaurant or an interrogation room it was just it see it started to seem like less like a character thing and more like she, she wants to seem cool well drink and smoke it just there was a little too much of it for my taste it it, it seemed affected but that's that that is so nitpicky um uh fascinating thing was even though it was not perfectly period correct because the movie takes was took place on the eve of the collapse of the uh berlin wall um which was 89 and some of the some of the music was from much earlier in the decade this movie has the greatest soundtrack in movie history and now i i freely admit it's possible i think that solely because um I was a young. I got laid a lot in the eighties, so <laughs> so it's 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 entirely it's entirely um, plausible that um, I'm reacting to these songs the the way some former swinging bachelor does now when he hears Marvin Gaye. <laughs> but uh, understood, yeah. But great, <laughs> great score. I, I, it's it, the 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 way they the. Uh, the, the action and the and the music is is is, is uh, magical. I I can't even remember if there was if there was a conventional sort of orchestral score to anything because it seems like every single action sequence or or significant emotional beat is underscored by an '80s pop song. Ooh, speaking of which, before I forget, uh, Blanche, John, if indeed you are listening, and if they don't listen when they're not on, you can tell them. Um, I saw Baby Driver, mm-hmm. and tell Blanche, I think that they were, uh, if you guys, if you're listening, you were completely right. It is a fucking musical. <laughs> 
Uh, I totally get what she the way he used the way uh, Edgar Wright uses music in this film is amazing and it, it does tie into what we're talking about here to another great use of music but it, it, even more so in Baby Driver how he uses music to advance the story is just fucking amazing so I agree I do have to agree with them Scott if you haven't seen it yet go see it that's if it's still even if it's still playing oh it is yeah the, that's that's next on my list um, oh good oh good I'm glad it's still playing out there then god yeah go see it dude and just be prepared for the music okay now I can well you're not going to go see the dark tower so no, I'm scratching I'm scratching that off my list right now although the dark tower I, I you know I don't think I have to see it because I think I think I gleaned the most important lesson from the movie by by the many um, bus shelter ads uh, that I've seen while walking around Hollywood, and it, and it is this, um, as the NRA has always said, uh, people guns don't kill people, hearts kill people. Do 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 do. We still got some guests on the Slumgullion. We're not showing breasts on the Slumgullion. Should probably fade on the Slumgullion.